Welcome to Anchor Point, where we believe that the next 30 minutes could change your life forever. So join us to consider the greatest message ever heard, the good news of the gospel, as well as sound scriptural teaching for believers, all based on the Word of God, the anchor for our souls. It's amazing how that prominent atheists of our day are trying to promote the idea that faith means believing without evidence, just some sort of leap in the dark. In fact, people like Richard Dawkins are saying that faith is believing in spite of evidence. This is categorically false when it comes to biblical faith. Christianity is based on solid, eyewitness testimony of individuals who were in direct contact with Jesus Christ and the Gospel writers put their experiences on paper for the very purpose of providing historical facts upon which we can base our faith. Biblical faith is grounded on evidence, not fantasy, myth, or wishful thinking. We hope that you will not fall for this false conception of faith that atheists would have you to believe, and we're glad that you're listening to Anchor Point today because this is the very subject of today's message, The Origin of the Gospel, Part 2 as evangelist Mr. Michael Penfold takes a look at some of this eyewitness testimony as found in the Gospel records. As I mentioned to you yesterday, Dawkins and the rest of them will have us believe that Christianity is all about just believing without any evidence. But when you read your New Testament, you find time and time again that the person and work of Christ, which Paul and Peter and James and so on is always and ever tied to eyewitness testimony. We're now looking at the evidences that Christianity is true. The very origin of the gospel. Are we looking at myths and legends told around the campfires of illiterate first century people that didn't know any better? No. We are looking at eyewitness testimony. Now let me just give you three. I want to talk to you about the eyewitness testimony of John the eyewitness testimony of Paul, and the eyewitness testimony of Peter. And yet the atheist, the skeptic, the infidel, wants to concoct this story that these people, the Pauls and the Peters and the Johns and the James, happily and with abandon concocted out of thin air a religion to say that a man was God. Impossible. Absolutely counterintuitive and impossible. I want to just spend a few moments on how the New Testament brings to our attention the person and work of Christ. We're now looking at the evidences that Christianity is true. The very origin of the gospel. We are looking at eyewitness testimony. John gives us his eyewitness testimony in his gospel. In fact, his entire gospel is an eyewitness testimony to the deity of Christ. John gives us a whole gospel eyewitness testimony to deity. The Apostle Paul gives us a whole chapter as an eyewitness testimony to the resurrection. 1 Corinthians 15. And the Apostle Peter in 2 Peter chapter 1 gives us a little passage there as an eyewitness testimony to the kingdom glory of our Lord Jesus Christ. Now let me just go through those one at a time. An eyewitness testimony to the deity of Christ in the Gospel of John. You know, when John lived, there were people 
who were just coming on the scene, who later on got the name of Gnostic. And these Gnostics would later on promote that Jesus was not really what he claimed to be, that he was just an ordinary man and the Christ spirit came on him at his baptism and left him in the garden of Gethsemane and so on. John takes up his pen in his epistle and as he writes his first epistle, he says, I want to tell you about the word of life. And he says, our eyes have seen him. We have looked upon him. Our hands have handled him. He is the word of life. What's he saying? This son of God was a real man who lived here among us. And I have eyewitness testimony to his life here on earth. In John chapter 1 he says, we beheld his glory. In John chapter 19 he says, he that saw it, bear record. In John chapter 20 he says of the resurrection, John saw and believed. Now one of the disciples didn't believe. His name was Thomas. Matthew doesn't tell us about him. And Mark doesn't tell us about him. And Luke doesn't tell us about him. But the gospel of the eyewitness testimony tells us about him. Says John in his gospel, there was a man in our group. His name was Thomas. And Thomas said, except I see. Print of the nails in his hands and so on and so forth. Says John, I want to record exactly what happened. There was a moment a few days later when the Lord Jesus appeared in our midst. And said to one in our group, Thomas, reach hither thy finger. Behold my hands. A spirit hath not flesh and bones as ye see me have. Says John, I am writing this gospel that you might believe. I saw the blood and water come from his side. The eyewitness testimony is given. He was really here. He was really the son of God. He really died on the cross. He really rose from the dead. You know, when you come to John chapter 20, you get that lovely incident of Peter and John rushing to the tomb. There are three words used in John chapter 20. They all sound the same in English, but in the Greek, they're three different words. John gets to the tomb first. He had a little look in, and he saw the linen clothes. The word saw there in the Greek, it means to glance. He just had a quick peek, a little look, he saw it. And then he backs off. And along comes the next fellow, Peter. And he goes in and he saw. It's a different word. He doesn't take a glance. He takes a good look. The second word for see there is to gaze. And then John goes back in. And he has another look. And you know what it says in John chapter 20 verse 8? He saw and believed. Now that word saw is another word altogether. I don't know whether you've ever tried to do a very difficult maths equation or something and you're struggling with it and you're struggling with it and the paper's getting longer and longer and you're going and you need another page and you keep crossing out and the tipex comes out and, and eventually you go and ring somebody up in the assembly who's a maths teacher and you say, can I have some help with this? And he comes over to you and he says, now look, there's your mistake there. Now if you do that and that and that and you say, oh, I see. Now, in that sentence, the word see is a synonym for understand. And that's the word that's used in John chapter 20, verse 8. John goes in and he has a glance. Peter goes in and he gazes. But when John goes in the second time, he grasps it. He saw and believed. And he's so keen that you should do the same. 
And he's so keen that you should do the same. He takes up his pen and he writes 21 chapters. He says, I was there. I saw it. He really did rise from the dead. He really did appear. And he says, in fact, in fact, I could write an awful lot more. There's many, many other things which Jesus did. And if I really sat down to write them all, I suppose the whole world could not contain the books that should be written. You see, when we preach the gospel, when we go out with the gospel into the community, we're not asking people to throw away their brains and to pretend that history didn't happen. No! Quite the reverse. We're presenting to them a real Christ. We're presenting them a risen Christ. We're presenting to them a returning Christ. Says John, I saw it. I'm an eyewitness. Ah, but not only an eyewitness to his deity. Paul was an eyewitness to his resurrection. When you come to 1 Corinthians 15, Paul gives a list of all the people that saw Christ in resurrection. It's a fascinating way he does it. He says, when Christ rose from the dead, he was seen of Cephas. Well, that would be enough, wouldn't it? To say he was seen of Cephas. If Cephas has seen him and he's told the truth, well, that's all we need. No, 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 Paul says, I've got more than that. After he was seen of Cephas, then he was seen of the twelve. Oh, that's wonderful, Paul. So he really did rise from the dead. He's been seen of Cephas. Oh, but there's more. After he was seen of Cephas and the twelve, then he was seen of five hundred brethren at once. And most of them are still alive. You can go and ask them if you want. That's wonderful, Paul. Oh, but there's more. Then he was seen of James. And after going through all of these and the apostles and so on, he just puts this last little sentence. I love the last little sentence. Last of all, he was seen of me also. Now they saw him on earth, but Paul saw him in heaven. I remember Jack Hunter years ago, he said, I was saved through realizing and seeing Christ on the cross for me. He said, Paul was saved by seeing Christ on the throne for me. The risen Christ, I am Jesus, says John, I want to tell you about a real Christ. I've seen him. Says Paul, I want to tell you about a risen Christ. I've seen him. Nothing, only a vision of the risen Christ could have turned this rabid Pharisee Christian killer into the writer of the New Testament. Into the man who himself lost his head for the preaching of the gospel. You see, the Christian gospel has its origin in the facts of history. And here in our New Testament, written by divine inspiration, is a record, the eyewitness testimony, that the gospel originates by the supernatural power of God in revealing his Son. But when you come to Second Peter, sorry, First Peter, we get the final eyewitness testimony, as it were. Men actually talking in their New Testament about being eyewitnesses. John says, I was an eyewitness. I saw it. I bore record. He really died. He really was the Son of God. We handled him. We saw him. Paul says, I was an eyewitness. I saw him in risen glory. This one that I thought was a blasphemer, who I thought I should persecute to the ends of the earth, he's the risen Christ. Now Peter's about to die. The apostle Peter's about to be crucified upside down. But he's discovered that even though he knows full well exactly what happened in the life of Christ, he knows that others are doubting him. Other people are calling Christianity a myth. Other people are calling Christianity a fable. And dear old Peter, an old, old, old man who's about to die, he takes out his pen and he says in 1 Peter chapter 1 of verse 14, knowing that shortly I must put off this tabernacle 
I know I'm about to die. I will endeavour, says he, the old man Peter, that you might be able after my death to have these things always in your remembrance. Because, says he in verse 16 of 1 Peter chapter 1, we have not followed cunningly devised fables. No, Mr. Atheist, my Christianity is not based on fables. I have not followed some cleverly concocted religion that originates in the minds of some human being who was in the Middle East 2,000 years ago. No. Peter says this, When we preached unto you the power and the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ, we were not making it up. Now then he does something a bit strange. He says, I want to tell you about what happened on the Mount of Transfiguration. Now you say, hang on a minute, Peter. If you're going to prove to us the power and the second coming in glory of the Lord Jesus, and you're going to refute the people in chapter 3 of your book who are saying, where's the promise of his coming? He's not coming. You can live as you like. It doesn't matter. There's going to be no second coming. If you're going to refute that, how are you going to refute the second coming of Christ? How are you going to prove that he's really coming? How are you going to refute those that are rejecting his second coming? By referring to the transfiguration. What on earth is the link between you being on the Mount of Transfiguration and proving that Christ is coming back in power and glory. Ah, there's every connection in the world between those two things. You see, Peter says in Second Peter chapter 1, we were with him in the Holy Mount. What happened in the Holy Mount? What happened on the Mount of Transfiguration when you went up to the top of the mountain, Peter and James and John? He says here in Second Peter chapter 1 and verse 16, we were I witnesses of his majesty. He said, we went up to that mountain and we got a preview of something. A preview? What do you mean a preview? Well, let me explain. Just before we went up to that mountain, the Lord Jesus said, and we didn't really know what he meant at the time, but the Lord Jesus says, there's some people standing here listening to my voice, says the Lord Jesus. There's some people standing here and they're not going to die until they see the Son of Man coming in his power and his glory. And the atheist looks at that and says, ha, there's an error right there in the Bible. Jesus said that there'd be people standing there that wouldn't die till they saw the Lord come. Well, that was quite clearly wrong because they're all dead and he hasn't come. Ah, oh, no, 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 no. When the Lord Jesus said there'd be some people standing here who will not die till they see the Son of Man coming, he was referring to what was going to happen in the next chapter. Because he then took three of those people, Peter, James and John, up to a mountain, and when they got to the top of that mountain, all of a sudden, the face of Christ began to shine as radiant as the sun. And his garments were shining in bright whiteness. He was transfigured before them. What was the Lord Jesus doing? He was imprinting on the minds of Peter, James and John that I am the coming Messiah of kingdom glory. And I'm giving you a little preview I'm letting you see me. I'm letting you see what it will be like in that future day when I come in my power, in my glory and in my kingdom. Peter never forgot it. Peter tucked that away in the back of his head and he said, that gives me every hope and every confidence that even though I die, I know there's going to be a kingdom one day. And then he heard people saying, "Ah, he's not really coming back. There is no second coming. 
is the promise of his coming? Sure, the Christians have been talking about the Lord Jesus Christ coming again ever since Adam was a boy. Mind you, Adam never was a boy. They've been saying he's been coming back all this time. Sure, didn't they say back in the days of the apostles he was coming again? And he's never, he's not going to, why don't you just submit it? He's not coming. The whole thing's a fable. The whole thing's a myth. He might have come the first time, but it's all been exaggerated, and he's certainly not coming back the second time. The trembling old hand of Peter takes up his pen. He says, when I came to you, people, and said that Jesus Christ is coming in power and glory, I was not making it up. We haven't spent our lives following cunningly devised fables. Because we were the eyewitnesses of the power and majesty of the Lord Jesus Christ. And we heard the voice from heaven which said, This is my beloved Son, in whom I am well pleased. You see, when Jesus died, and was buried in that tomb, the story was put about that the disciples came and stole his body. That's even in some literature today. The disciples stole his body. The disciples were just as surprised as anybody else that the body wasn't in the tomb. But let's just suppose that they did steal his body. Let's just suppose that they made up the resurrection. They were the one that were telling the story. They were the one that said we saw him. They were the one that said he went up to the top of Mount of Olives and blessed us and went back to heaven. No, no unsaved people saw that. They were the one that put this story out. They were the one that stood up at the day of Pentecost and said, you crucified him, but God has raised him from the dead. They were the one that wrote it in the New Testament. Now then, let's get Peter now. He's an old man. He's in Rome, possibly, wherever he is, it doesn't, doesn't make any difference. He's going to be taken out to be crucified. Just before he's crucified, they say to him, right, old man, you've got one last chance. You either give up this rubbish about Christianity or we're going to crucify you upside down. You've got five minutes to think about it. All you have to do is say, I don't believe it. All you have to do is say, sorry guys, I made it up. All you have to do is just say, no, all right, no more of that. I won't say that and again, it wasn't true and I've just, and we won't crucify you. The atheists are saying, John and Peter and James and Bartholomew died for what they knew was false. No, no, it is true. It is true. Every last one of them. All eleven were martyred and John himself sent to the Isle of Patmos, dipped in boiling oil and so on. Not one of them gave the least hint of saying, actually we made it up. Actually it's not true. They went to their death with a firm step knowing it's not a cunningly devised fable. Aren't you glad the gospel has a solid footing? A solid origin. You know, we had an election in the UK recently. The party that lost were desperately trying to win. And they thought they were going to win. And they had this manifesto. Great big thick manifesto. Everything that we believe. Vote for us. This is what we believe. And just before the election, the leader of this party that lost sort of pulled out a last minute desperate attempt to convince everybody of what he believed. And he went to a stonemason and he said, I want you to carve me this great big stone. So there's a stone about this high. You can check this up on the internet. A stone about this high and about this one. And it was all the commitments of our political party. 
what we believe. And it was, it looked like the Ten Commandments. It was like seven or eight things on here. We will believe in housing and equality. And the leader's name was Edward. They called him Ed for short. So this they christened the Ed Stone. Not the headstone, the Ed Stone. Because he lost the election, they said it's like a headstone on his grave. The Ed Stone. So this is the joke. Much to everybody's surprise, this guy with the headstone and all his manifesto, everything that he believed and all his convictions and vote for us, we've got the great policies. They lost. They were absolutely slaughtered in the election. Since the election, this party has absolutely fallen apart. And these same people that were telling us, vote for us. This is what we believe. These are our convictions. These are our policies. This is how we're going to make Britain bigger and better and greater and fairer and happier. Those very same people, within five minutes of losing the election, were saying, well, we need to go back and revise everything. We need to have a root and branch revision of what we believe. We need to go back to the drawing board. We need to think again. And we need to abandon this and abandon this and abandon the other. How disillusioned would you be if you had been going around knocking on doors saying, vote for us. This is what we believe. These are our undeniable principles. So much so that we'll carve them in stone and we'll go up for the whole country. This is what we believe. They were so embarrassed. They carted this stone off to a warehouse and the press, the press were desperately trying to find the, the Ed Stone because what the man had said was, if I win the election, I'm going to plant this Ed Stone in the garden of Downing Street. The Downing Street is where the Prime Minister lives. He was going to set this up in the garden as if, this is what I believe. And you can hold me to it. And as soon as he lost the election, they couldn't find the headstone for love nor money. They don't know where it is. It's gone. He smashed it up with a hammer. You see this headstone here. This is the impregnable rock of Holy Scripture. And our faith is not hanging in midair on some hopeless theory of man that will be abandoned five minutes after there's any kind of a problem. We have the eyewitness testimony of men who went to their death, recorded in here by the inspiration of the Holy Spirit. It's not of man, it's not by man, it's not according to man, it is not through man. It is by revelation of Jesus Christ. If there's someone here not saved, you can have every confidence that the gospel is not from man, its origin is from God. These things have been written that you might believe. Indeed, my friend, the person and work of Christ is always tied to eyewitness testimony. Peter, John, Matthew, James, and others wrote about what they saw, what they knew to be true. And not only that, they died for what they saw and what they knew to be true. They wouldn't deny it, though they could have saved their own lives. Something to consider, isn't it? Would you die for what you knew was a lie? I don't think so. And neither did these men. Listen to the words of the Apostle John. These things are written, that ye might believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that believing ye might have life through his name. So how about it? Will you believe the evidence? If this or any of our Bible messages here at Anchor Point has made you aware of God's interest in you, or if you'd like some literature or a visit that would help you to understand these important truths, why don't you drop us a line at email at anchorpointradio.com 
We'd love to hear from you. We're glad that you were able to join us at Anchor Point today. Anchor Point is sponsored by believers in Christ who are meeting at various gospel halls. Each of these Christian assemblies holds gospel services every Sunday as well as other meetings such as regular prayer and Bible studies throughout the week. No collection is ever taken and a very warm welcome awaits you. If you've been challenged by today's message and would like to know more about the truth of the gospel or of gathering under the name of our Lord Jesus Christ following New Testament principles, take a look at our website at anchorpointradio.com. There you will find more information as well as the location, programs, and meeting schedules for the gathering center nearest you. My name is John Sharp, and thank you once again for listening. And we invite you to join us again next week at the same time for Anchor Point, where we believe that Christ alone is the anchor for the soul.